At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once-a-year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. Blog Talk Radio. Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of Syracuse Sports Make Me Drink here on the Troy News and Absolute Magician Podcast Network. I'm your host, as always, John Casillo, and with me we actually have three special guests today: Dan, Jared, and Matt. How's it going, guys? Howdy. Hello, hello. How's it going, fellas? Well, as everyone knows now, I'm not doing too well. But besides that. Yeah, you'll get you'll you'll get through it. Oh yeah, I'm uh, I'm looking into the details of the medication to see how much I can drink while on it. So <laughs> that'll probably gauge my uh, my state of being for the next week or two. Yeah, that's going on. I know my my father had uh, shingles. And my grandfather had shingles uh, last couple of years, and oh man, it's so fun. So I, I don't envy <laughs> you at all whatsoever. <laughs> Yeah, I think I caught it early enough, but uh, we'll see. But uh, back to happier matters. Uh, Syracuse, we uh, we lost the first place vote this week, which in the big scheme of things doesn't matter. But at the same time, we're starting to see a little bit of a rising tide of, well, the best team in the country wouldn't, you know, go down to the wire against NC State. The best team in the country wouldn't need a last-second shot to beat Pitt. And yet, it seems that they're all forgetting that all the excuses that they wrote for, you know, some of the country's top teams over and over again throughout the first few months of the season, they're kind of throwing them by the wayside for us, and now suddenly, you know, handing Florida a shot at being number one despite the fact that they've already suffered two losses. So I guess we'll start with uh, start with you, Dan. What do you think? Nothing to be get worked up about, or is this just par for the course? Are we oversensitive as fans? Um. I think a little bit of, of all of the above. I don't think it was a big deal. Um, if we're being honest with ourselves, Florida is probably playing better basketball right now. Uh, and, you know, they have two losses. They were undermanned when they lost. Um, obviously, if I was voting, I would vote Syracuse pretty definitively. But I don't think someone voting Florida uh, is the biggest slight in the world. I think if it was Arizona or Wichita, I think that would be a pr- bigger oversight. But, I don't get that worked up about someone voting for Florida. I don't think it's unfair. Kind of like first world problems. It's yeah, like exactly. first world problems. Being upset about how many first place votes the team gets and compared to who should be won and who isn't won. It's fun to have the debate. And you know, I'm kind of always that guy, I guess, when we talk about these things. But it is just it's fun and it's kind of nuts that we're talking Syracuse and being number one again and how the narrative has shifted to nitpicking Syracuse rather than Syracuse not getting any respect whatsoever and falling in the polls and losing games and whatever else has happened in the past. This is a, a different world in which we live right now with Syracuse, and it's pretty fun to see. I don't get worked up over over the uh, rankings and votings because I think it's fun. I'm, I'm definitely in favor of having 
polls and in favor of discussion over it, as long as Syracuse keeps winning, it will continue to be number one. People, but the record's almost too gaudy where you see 25-0, and 0 and that just doesn't happen in big-time basketball. So people have to nitpick. You have to find storylines. You have to go along with it. And that's And rightfully so in some cases here. You should not struggle against NC State. If you're one or if you're ten, you shouldn't struggle like that. So it's there's some validity to it, but bigger picture, it's just fun that people are trying to find flaws in Syracuse working and looking to find that rather than seeing them so obvious. You know, you actually have to peel a few layers back before you can really nitpick the team. And that's been the case three, four, five years now for, for Orange Hoops, and it's refreshing. Jared, how about you? <laughs> yeah, I was just waiting for my turn as well. Yeah, I, no, I enjoy it. I, it was funny, like last, I think I mentioned it on Twitter um, on Saturday when Florida beat Kentucky. Uh, the immediate reaction, and I think this is the way sports work, the sports world works nowadays anyway. It's like the immediate reaction uh, after a game was to say Florida is easily the best team in the nation right now, uh, you know, despite, despite there's two other teams in the nation that haven't lost a game yet. And, uh, you know, Syracuse, yeah, they're, they're escaping by the skin of their teeth, but they still haven't lost. Um, so I think it's just the way – the sports world works nowadays is, um, you know, Syracuse goes on and they win, you know, tomorrow night. Uh, there, you know, the, the narrative changes to Syracuse is 26-0. and 0. Uh, They're still the best team in the nation. And they're they're moving on. So, I mean, it's, it's just the way things are, I think. Uh, and it's just a flavor of, like, what, what is now. So, I, you know, I like it. I enjoy it. Uh, and I, I try not to get too frustrated about it, especially when it comes to, uh, you know, the the national media members now hopping on the Gators bandwagon, which is fun. The Gators are a very good team. I mean, it's hard to to knock that. And there's a bunch of other good teams out there. And but you know, I I will still be the 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 person to say, all right, that's fine. You can take the Gators. But I can take the Syracuse Orange team because I still feel very confident about the team uh, beating anyone in the nation, especially now that uh, Arizona is struggling after their injury issues. Um, the Arizona team was the team that I was really worried about. It seemed like they were going to have uh, give Syracuse a lot of matchup issues. Um, but now uh, I think it's uh, – I, I, you know, I think Syracuse is just as good a chance of winning this whole thing as, you know, Florida does. So if people want to pick Florida, they can. But I'll, I'll stick with Syracuse. Yeah, like I don't personally think that. I mean, and this isn't even like to knock the Gators. Like to be honest, I think they that in the last week or two, or at least a few weeks, like you know they have played better than most, if not every team in the country. But I, I just think you know it, it seems like it's people are quick to pull the trigger on on Florida number one when, and surprisingly, it's a lot of people who don't have votes in the polls, but it's. It's basing it off of, you know, a few results. And, again, it's it's while ignoring injuries for Syracuse and writing excuses for a lot of other teams. I know we're all oversensitive about this. The Syracuse fans, I know I personally um, am one of the first to kind of lead the, uh, lead the uh, you know, torch and pitchfork charge in terms of people who aren't giving us enough credit. But I guess at the same time, like, I, I look at, I look at what happened with Arizona. Like, after Arizona lost, the first thing everyone said was, 
Oh man, um, was it was it Leslie? I forgot who it was. Went down like you know. Oh, that injury killed him. Like, what's going to happen next? Like, it just seems like whenever a number one team goes down, except for Syracuse, and we haven't even lost yet, it's it's always oh man, that fluke happening. Like, and and I'm sure they'll get back to where they were. Versus SU, it's always I mean, and I guess this has happened like the last few years where I just feel like. There's there's almost some kind of like victory dance by most of the media going on when we lose a game or in this case like we win a couple games on the skin of our teeth while another like contender you know that candidly beats Kentucky and it just seems I don't know I it just I'm oversensitive to it I understand I know I'm reading too much into it and I'm looking for these types of instances but I well, I, I, guess I just my, don't my think we're being treated the same. I guess my question to the whole group was, or is, would you rather have the media be all over Syracuse, like on the bandwagon 100% and, you know, just pumping the team full of confidence, or would you rather have Syracuse, I mean, basically, if they win on Wednesday, um, you know, there's a couple games on the schedule in the regular season where, you know, they're pretty much, you know, if they lose, they're supposed to lose, but you know, Syracuse is pretty much on their way, unless they lose to Boston, uh, Boston College, uh, on their way to a number one seed. Uh, pretty much, they pretty much got that locked up. So, I mean, would they? Would you rather have uh, Syracuse the overall favorite going into everything? You know, and have, like I said, having these national media guys pumping this team up, or would you rather have them kind of keeping them as the underdogs and keeping that chip on all these guys' shoulders? I'd rather have the second thing happen than. Than the first thing, I'd rather have these guys have something to prove, other than everyone just handing handing it to, handing it to them. Like everyone has a chip like, on their shoulder on the team. I really, I don't think the players are really intuitive to what the fans are. I think they see the number one ranking undefeated, Game Bay, Jay Billis, everyone from CBS Sports, Yahoo Sports, Fox Sports talking to them. I don't know if they really have a chip on their shoulder. I think they probably think they're number one, and that you know that all that comes with it is a little extra attention to get mentioned on PTI around the horn. If you're number one, if you're number two or three, you tend not to in hoops, at least until March, on the national media, you know, pundit scale. But I don't think that I don't think this team has a chip on the shoulder. I think there's a lot of highly rate recruited players and playing really well and getting a lot of attention. So I don't know if I necessarily think they're feeling the, the same narrative maybe that everyone else is feeling. Yeah, I mean, I think it makes a, an assumption that that the players are really reading into, um, you know, what's going on in the media. And, and to me, like, I'm not really sure how much they're reading into those narratives. And if Behan doesn't read those narratives, so I don't, I don't see him really, like, allowing the team to, to, to settle and be a favorite. Yeah, there, John, you were cutting out a bit. <laughs> it seems like we got some echo problems today. But, uh, you know, I was just saying that I don't think K. Hines going to let this believe it's on hype. Um, and I, I might be wrong there, but it seems like he does a very good job. He's just recent years with these highly ranked teams and just keeping it incredibly grounded. I think we have enough veteran guys who've been through um, 
you know, been through a similar situation. Uh, I mean, CJ was on a number one team before. Bai was on a number one team before. Um, a lot of the other guys, Jeremy uh, was, and even Trevor, were on last year's team, which, you know, wasn't a number one team by any means, but made that bid run to the final four. Um, and then Tyler is really the only contributor who wasn't a part of at least last year's team, and he's, you know, less flappable than anyone else that we have. So I'm not overly worried about um, our team getting too nervous or over, you know, the pressure that it is to be number one. All right, so I guess taking that and going into uh, – well, right now, tomorrow night, but when this podcast is up, tonight's game. Um, does this team have anything to fear? Do we think that DC has learned from their last game? Is, it, is, this, is this an upset in the making, or is this just a road bump, you know, before we get to the two games? Um, I saw Joe. I think, well, I thought this about the Miami game, too, so maybe it's not valid. But I thought that, uh, you know, because they played as kind of close last time, the team would come out, you know, a little more fired up or, you know, a little quicker out of the gate. Um, granted, Miami's a very good defensive team and can play that slow-down ball with us. D.C., I don't think, is quite that team. They're more offensive-oriented and they can't defend anyone. Um, so hopefully it works out a little better than that game, even though, you know, we did sweep Miami. Um, and it would just be nice to get a nice, like, double-digit, uh, not nerve-wracking win for once. We've really, really only had one legitimate blowout in the ACC, and that was Virginia Tech, and even they hung around for a while. So it would be nice to have this team, like, a nice, easy, relaxing win. Yeah, a 20-point win is exactly what the doctor ordered for everybody, fans included. As Sean wrote uh, a couple days ago on the site how every game – since the fall, no matter what the team is for SU Athletics, is providing heart attacks. So I think for the fan base and certainly for the team to get some run, especially for a Roberson or a Patterson, obviously Baikita back, presumably will play, getting him some time out in the court. All that is – winning is always the best deodorant for anything in sports, but I think winning fairly comfortably, fairly big tomorrow – or tonight, check that for uh, for the Orange – will just provide a lot of momentum going into that game Saturday because all eyes are on that game. I think no matter what happens against BC, Syracuse will win. Maybe closer than it should be, but I think SU likely wins this. The bigger and more comfortable that margin, the better it is, which is stupid to say. It's so obvious, but I just get 15, 20 points up midway through the second and just coast and get some fan involvement to try to cheer for taco time and some of the walk-ons, and that'll just be so big mentally and physically for the Q's going to do. Yeah, I'm with you guys. But definitely when it comes to looking for an easy win, um, it's like in a lot of the, you know, I mentioned this in my column earlier on this week. It's just, you know, Syracuse needs a way to get, you know, guys like Robertson some extra playing minutes and take some extra time off of guys like C.J. Fair and Cooney and Ennis and all these guys that are, you know, running around and uh, picking up, you know, 35-plus minutes per game. Uh, these guys definitely need a rest, especially going into the Duke game. Um, and it would be it would be nice to have that, especially with Duke, you know, playing three games in five days. Um, it'd, be, uh, it'd be really good for them if they were uh, fresh going into that one. 
Yeah, I actually agree with all that. I, I, I think the main concern in the PC game is, you know, getting some burn for these, for, for, for the kids. I mean, not just even Roberson and uh, Pinochet, but, you know, like everybody on the bench. I think it'd be nice to to let Fair and Grant and Cooney and Ennis, like, get some time to relax and some time to just, you know, not play 40 minutes a night. And I think, you know, besides showing off Nikki's New Jersey, I think that's kind of my at least main goal of of the game against BC, as well as, you know, just kind of burying the, uh, the Orange Eagle trophy, as it were, for this season. I'd say locking it up a lot earlier than I thought we would. I know that uh, I know Sean did bring up the uh, the other uniform combination. I think it was last night. Um, what do you guys think as far as um, the potential all orange look? Is that personally like I'd rather I'd rather see that every single night than what we're wearing now. But maybe in the minority there. Um, I don't mind the jerseys now. I thought they're they're fine, but uh, the orange throw you know quote throwback on quote. Jerseys, especially with the orange shorts, it looks so good. Obviously, we have to see them live first, but I'm all for them wearing them, you know, on the way out. And there's a precedent for it. I mean, Kansas got theirs a few months ago. They're like old school, uh, like 50s era jerseys that are like gray with pinstripes, and they've been wearing them ever since. They just said, Stuart, we're going to wear these every night. So if uh, the team wants to, I mean, I'm all for that. I'm pretty cool with the blue shorts, too. Just It's one game, and it's at the Dome. I think it's pretty cool that the fans see, you know, again, this weird throwback-style uniform. And and it's the road colors, obviously, being the dark orange and the dark blue, but that it's never worn at the Dome. So if it's just a one-time thing, you throw it out there, make it look cool. And, again, D.C. is not that great. Syracuse should win comfortably. So there won't be any weird distractions. Not that I truly believe in that, but... Whatever it could be with tied to the uniform, just let them throw them out there, let it look good. And then from there on out, I would be pretty cool with orange on orange road uniforms like that permanently. They look, to me, they look awesome. Yeah, I'm a big fan of the uh, the throwbacks that they're going to be wearing on Wednesday. Uh, you know, obviously, I, I do like the uh, the uniforms they wear now. I think there's nothing wrong with them whatsoever. Um, except, you know, whenever they play like a Baylor or a Michigan, and it's just complete neon on the court. That's uh, every once in a while. I get a little uh, tiring, but uh, to see the dark orange back, um, and I don't know. I think I'm I, maybe I'm with Matt a little bit on wearing the blue shorts. That's saying that I prefer the blue shorts over the orange shorts. I just think it's a cool, different look that would be nice to see. Um, I do find it weird that like Nike all of a sudden uh, heard a lot. I, I seems like they maybe had a little bit of backlash, and then all of a sudden just rolled out the orange shorts. Uh, and then maybe we'll see them on Wednesday. Because it didn't seem like a lot of people liked the uh, the blue ones. But, uh, yeah, I'm really excited to see uh, these things in action on, uh, tomorrow night. I mean, my biggest fear is a backlash. Um, it isn't even about the, the different color shorts. I don't care which color shorts they wear. It's just the price point. I know that this is part of the course. But I was really excited about buying this uniform. You know, I haven't bought a new uniform since my quote-unquote West Johnson jersey from, like, 2009, 2010. And then I see the price tag. 
and I'm just completely put off. And I just, that, that would be my only complaint is that, you know, even if you just want the jersey you're looking at and $120 spend before shipping if you're not in the Syracuse area or, you know, have to order from somewhere. But, you know, I understand the economics of it. Um, I mean, I, I know we're kind of split on this, but do we think that, that the Syracuse basketball, I mean, we're, we're going to see a huge kind of upheaval in the identity system for football this fall. Do we think that that this is something that, you know, is kind of being tested on the floor on Wednesday? Or, or is this something that, like, you know, it's just going to be a one-time thing and the Syracuse is going to go right back to the, like, very kind of, you know, standard system of dress, like orange and white with, like, a touch of platinum look, and that that's just going to be it. Because to me, even before I started, even before I went to SU, um, I always thought that Syracuse just had so much character and personality in a uniform set in basketball, and, you know, that was kind of a product of, of the teams that we had in the late 70s, 80s, and 90s, the product of Bayheim himself, and then to see us in the last, like, five to seven years, it's kind of be very, you know, kind of streamlined. It's been not overly disappointing, but at least mildly disappointing that that we haven't, I guess, lived up to that kind of goofy undertone that the program's always had. Um, As for having anything, I don't know if if it'll have anything to do with the football uniforms. I, I don't I don't know. I, I people always say that the '90s football uniforms were like the Syracuse brand that everyone knew. And if you had asked me what the '90s Syracuse football uniforms looked at before I went to SU or looked like, or if you asked like a, a general fan who from New York State what the classic Syracuse football uniform look is, I don't think they could tell you. And I think they could tell you the big schools without much hesitation. So I don't really buy that there's like a – I mean, for for Syracuse fans there is, but I don't buy that there's a national uh, Syracuse football look that we have to go back to as much as the basketball jerseys uh, with the strip uh, lettering is pretty iconic for for that era. Um, I don't know. I'm interested to see what the football ones are are like, but I don't don't quite think that the basketball is a test or anything for for that going forward. Um, I I, I don't – I don't know. I I don't think Nike would would, – I don't think Nike sees the two as like on the same level or or of the same you know kind of. A couple of years, Syracuse changes its uniforms anyway in basketball. So, I mean, basically, Champion was the outfitter in up until what '93, and then I think it was the fall of '93, if I'm not mistaken, they started tinkering. Nike came in, tinkered, tinkered. You know, every couple of years it seems like there's something different, either drastic or little, and I think it's kind of par for the course. I'm sure SU Hoops is way overdue for a change. And whether or not this is a permanent thing or something bigger, I don't know. I'm all for it. I, I could care less. It's, it's, been, uh, it's nice to see the script come back, I guess, a little bit in the lettering, but overall, football is maybe a little different, you know, as Dan was saying, in terms of the levity of what the uniform looks like. In basketball, I just think it's changed so much for really now 20 years that I, you know, I think he identifies Syracuse with Bayheim and with the zone and with Otto more so than you do uniforms when it comes to hoops. I think it's 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 more 
there's more substance behind it than just what's you know the, what they're wearing on the court. I don't think there's anything recognizable about that, especially with the name change from Orange Men to Orange and the logo change. There's nothing else that's happened. I just I think it's just constantly in flux. So to me, it's just par for the course, and it's another upgrade. You know, another new design that probably will look pretty good. Yeah, I I, I don't think the the throwbacks with their new wear on Wednesday is something they're going to throw out like permanently. Um, I just don't see that happening. I I, I do like like they said. I think that the the style of like the orange uh, basketball uniforms that we've been you know accustomed to for you know for a while now. Um, I like them. I think they're they they look good. And I don't think at least when it comes at least when it comes to um, basketball, their uniforms aren't as important as they are in football. Is at least what it seems. So um, yeah, I, in you know when it comes to football, it seems like they change it all the time. So. Uh, and they have to do people recruit. So, yeah, I, I, I don't think it's anything permanent. I know it's wishful thinking on my part, um, sometimes misguidedly so. So I guess at this point, why don't we jump into a little beer talk. I know, Jared, you will not be joining us in that endeavor this week, but hopefully um, in the coming weeks and months, 40, 45 more days, and then I'm free to drink whatever I want. Right now, it's just seltzer water in with lemon or lime. I, I do I do applaud your dedication to this because and maybe this is speaking to my almost need for good craft beer. But I can't say that I can necessarily have the willpower to, to resist for 90 days. Yeah, for those of you who don't know, I mean, my wife and I go on a 90-day, what we call a 90-day challenge, which is four, we do four days a week at the gym, and then we go 90 days without any booze. And I am, I yesterday was the halfway point. This is the second year we've done it. The first year, um, she she beat me. Um, I get at least one weekend during the 90 days because my friends and I have a boys weekend that we do usually in Connecticut or New York City. The church in New York City, so I at least get a weekend off there to go down there and hang out with them. And then actually, last but technically last year I lost the bet or the challenge because Syracuse went to the Final Four, and I was not letting anyone tell me whether or not I could drink or not when they made it. <laughs> Final four, so that's that. She technically won last year, but this year is going pretty good. So, but I will also, you know, I will say if they go to the final four again, I'm definitely going to break break the trend. But uh, it's actually it feels good. It does feel good. I, it, when I'm not doing the night of day challenge, I uh, I do drink uh, frequently. So uh, it, it's nice to have not to feel up, uh, wake up in the morning and feel like crap, especially as I get older. So uh, yeah, the beer talk right now is not up my alley. <laughs> All right, so to everybody else, uh, I guess we'll go around. Matt, what have uh, what have you been enjoying the past week or so? Well, speaking of waking up and feeling a little rough, uh, last night <laughs> went out with the family, some some of my brothers and sister in laws. We went to a I, I talk about this place a ton. This brand new brewery that we have that hasn't started brewing its own beers yet. It's coming soon, but it has a huge selection for us up in our country. And I had, uh, I've talked about this beer a ton, uh, Dale's Pale Ale. I also had uh, Dogfish had 90. And I had, I I can't pronounce the name, 
It's it's langitis, langitis, laginitis. Is it? It's L A N G I T A S. Yeah. Lagunitis. Yeah, I had their. I had their sucks. The ah, beer so that good. literally. Yeah, and it was awesome. It was so good. Uh, and I also had a, nor, a nor'easter, and I don't remember who that was by. But um, the the sucks did not suck. That was fantastic. It was such a good beer. And then um, with the Dale's Pale Ale, I consistently get that there. I really, really enjoyed that beer. I think Nor'easter is either, uh, I know Thomas Hooker in Connecticut has Nor'easter and Captain Lawrence down in uh, the, in uh, around White Plains, New York has Nor'easter as well. Uh, it's probably, if you're getting it up there, it's probably Captain Lawrence. I think that's it, but I'm not, I, I'm not 100% certain because... Things I guess got a little fuzzy, more so than anticipated. <laughs> I don't think you could, you know, couldn't find uh, Thomas Hooker up there. Uh, I think it's I haven't seen it really outside of Connecticut much, but um, okay. it's probably Captain Lawrence, which uh, I don't remember if I've had, but I like I like their stuff. They they're one of the better breweries down this way. Oh, it was delicious! It was delicious here. Everything I had last night was just fantastic, but uh, the. The socks. I was really impressed. They came away. I didn't. I had never had it before, and then so uh, it's pretty good. It's. I mean, to me, it's one of my favorites. I know, like a lot of people, uh, at least like in like all the beer forums, try to elevate it to like almost like a Pliny the Elder type conversation, which I wouldn't go that far. But as far as just like IPAs that you can find for a couple of months you know, stretch in California. I mean, it's one of my favorites. It's, I think it's something like 75 or 8% double IPA, and yet drinks really, really light. And you know, I picked up a six-pack um, at my local grocery store, like, probably like a month ago, and I, I smiled through that pretty quickly. Well, I, will, I can't add anything here, gentlemen, uh, too much, at least with, my, with what I've been drinking lately. But uh, I will say I do live down in the, near the Ithaca area, so I do have a bunch of good breweries down this way in central New York. Uh, obviously, the Ithaca Beer Company has, has a beautiful tap room and restaurant that I do like to go there and drink their beer. And then uh, Roosterfish Brewing in Walking Bun, New York, has a couple of good beers uh, on tap down there. Uh, and then, of course, the Cortland Beer Company. Uh, I've only tasted a couple of, the, of theirs. I don't know exactly what I – I can't remember which ones I've tasted, but whatever I had there, they were fantastic. And I hear they keep getting raised reviews. So I definitely plan on going at least to Cortland uh, sometime this summer when uh, I get some free time. Jared, I didn't know you were by Ethica. I might have to hit you up for uh, for some flower power headed, uh, headed oh. out west. <laughs> Oh yeah, definitely. Oh yeah, I'm right, right, uh, right near Ithaca, so uh, uh, I definitely enjoy that flower power every once in a while. I do like their apricot wheat. I'm a light sort of light beer drinker, so I do enjoy that every once in a while. But uh, Roosterfish has some really good, uh, some you know beers that if you're not like into the huge IPA stuff, they do have some lighter stuff that's pretty good. Good to know if I ever make it up that way. <laughs> yeah, just don't do it this time of year. No, <laughs> definitely not. Um, yeah, if I'm if, if I'm venturing back to the Northeast um, and, and I'm getting, and I'm going to forego my 65, 70 degree temperatures out here 
<laughs> I'm going to wait until it's at least like similar-ish back north. Oh, gosh. A couple of years ago, my wife and I went on our honeymoon to California, and we hit up a couple of breweries down there. I, can't, I, I have a terrible memory when it comes to the, the microbrews and stuff like that, but uh, that was one of the things that definitely got be hooked, at least tasting more and more microbrews, was the California beer. It is amazing out there. It is so good. And uh, anytime I, I, if we ever get a chance to go back out to California, I'm definitely hitting up a lot more breweries out there because they were fantastic. Happy to provide some recommendations if it's down here. But, Dan, how about yourself? Uh, well, I have, a, I have a decent list uh, since I wasn't on last week with you guys, so I've you know had a couple weeks. Uh, last night, if you guys are on Twitter, you might have caught um, John and I discussing uh, a new beer by Stone, John's favorite brewery that comes up every week. Um, but so now that's I, I me plugging it from the East Coast. Um, I had a got to try their Matt Burning Roses, which I guess is a brew that's dedicated to one of their uh, one of the brewers who passed away, unfortunately. Um, it's a really unique beer. Doing that in the best possible way. Um, it's uh, a, a smoked saison, um, and it has you know some nice dry hobbiness, but then it has this really clean finish and it's just a really awesome blend of flavors like if you like um stuff that's you know if you like the general stone stuff which is usually pretty hoppy um go that way but if you like something that has a little bit of sweetness to it has that uh it's it's super drinkable but it's still like uh, i didn't realize until after i had you know halfway done with it, like 10 and a half percent alcohol which is unbelievable um also a really awesome beer that uh isn't quite like anything I've had before. Put on them, uh, really great, uh, really great one to try if you can get your hands on it. I got it over here in Stanford, so it shouldn't be too hard to find. The stone stuff is pretty widespread. Um, I also had, uh, I've had a, a couple times a Sam Adams Cold Snap, which I, I find their their seasonal stuff a little hit or miss. But the Cold Snap, uh, which is uh, it's a pale wheat. Um, but it, you know, it has kind of like a winter, uh, as you'd imagine, a little bit of a winter ale flavor to it. Uh, really solid. Um, I've had that a couple times. And then uh, I've also had. I found out that that Saranac from a couple weeks ago that I couldn't quite ID. I'm pretty sure it's amber wheat ale. Um, and I could be wrong on that, but I'm like, I've looked into it, and I think that's what it was. It, it's uh, citrusy. I mean, it's definitely a wheat, um, and that kind of fits the description. But uh, really nice, um, you know, white if you're looking for one of those. And it's Saranac, so you can support your upstate brewers. Um, but definitely recommend all those. And if you can find that that Stone uh, Matt's Burning Roses, definitely give it a try or two or three, uh, and then probably fall asleep. <laughs> yeah, I know. I I might have mentioned that one a couple of weeks ago, and, and I definitely agree. It's it, it really has a deceptive. It's definitely high ABV, but I mean, it's just such a good, good beer. And it doesn't necessarily t- like I know some people would just rather not like taste, um, you know, the booziness of, of a beer. But in, in that case, I'd highly recommend that one. Um, I had a fairly drink-filled weekend. Um, went up to uh, Golden Road Brewing, uh, my favorite brewery here in um, LA, but it's not exactly right next door because. 
for those who haven't been here, L.A. traffic sucks. <laughs> so even if something's in your city, you're not necessarily going to it very often. But uh, but I got to, to make a trip up and uh, bought a ton of beer over there um, to take home. Um, my favorite that I've, I might have mentioned around here at the uh, 2020 IPA, uh, basically just a, a session IPA from Golden Road that uh, a lot of the proceeds go towards uh, refurbishing the L.A. River to make it into something we can actually utilize and enjoy. So, I mean, good cause and at the same time, like, really good beer. Um, I, uh, I I am the most frequent drinker of that beer on Untapped, something that was confirmed this afternoon. <laughs> I uh, had a Apex IPA from uh, Bear Republic, their uh, their annual release of a really great double IPA that um, expands upon everything you would love about Razor Five, um, and just kind of takes that that ABV up a notch. Um, I don't know where it is in the Northeast necessarily, but I know there's a good deal of it out here. Um, also had my bloody Valentine from Al Smith. It's an Imperial Red. They usually have, like, four Imperial Reds that they um, produce um, during the year. It's kind of like holiday tie-ins. So for this one, obviously, it was Valentine's Day. Um, and then also got to enjoy uh, Lagunitas Daytime IPA. Um, this is a new trend that's going to be happening this year. Is uh, brewers understanding that people want to drink, you know, very, very sophisticated or complicated IPAs, but without the, like, hefty ABV to go with it. So like Lagunitas has their daytime IPA, which as you might guess is basically for people who want a day drink. So it's like I think it's like four point two um A B V and yet ha- like packs like a really nice flavor and really nice hop profile into it. And I know Stone is gonna be putting out um their go to IPA next month. That's gonna be around the same things like four to four point five. Um I mean this one went down like water and yet was delicious. Um and I also got to have um, the uh, Sochasta City uh, Project Grapefruit Slam IPA. It's produced by Stone, but under a different label. Um, basically, it's grapefruit-infused um, version of Ruination. I wish there was a little bit more grapefruit in it, but nonetheless, it's like really, really just like nice drink. Would definitely recommend it if you could find it. Um, I'm I'm pretty sure it's full distribution on that one. So it should be going nationwide. I definitely saw that one somewhere. Have they just been, like, remitting Ruination all year now? Are they going to release as many of those as they can? It seems that way. But, um, I mean, I just kind of, I mean, this is just me, like, you know, just seeing their release patterns and kind of inferring. Literally, I'd say that's a fair bet. I guess from there, um, without any more beer talk, and we'll be sure to provide links to all these beers in the comments section tomorrow, um, slash today. I still want to drink right now. (laughs) (laughs) Can we make you crack that? Carry on, carry on. So I guess uh, guess next we'll just talk about the Duke game, because not to overlook BC, our uh, quote-unquote rival, but... Um, the Duke game is really the thing that everyone cares about. It's awesome that they have a game day set up, um, ready to go. 
for Saturday. I know I'm watching with like the uh, the pretty large LA alumni base um, over in Hollywood on Saturday. But I mean, this game it's not going to define our season due to tiebreakers already. But um, I guess start with you, Dan. How important is this game to you in terms of like locking down a number one seed um, without any question at this point? Uh, I think it does it if we win. I think um, this win and then just kind of doing what we need to do down the stretch where even if we drop like a UVA or a Florida State or we don't go terribly far in the in the ACC tournament, although we'll have a double bye, so either way we're pretty far already. Um, I think this almost cements a one seed unless like something really bizarre happens. Um, in terms of like importance to me personally, I just hope – I don't have – I mean, the way the team's been playing, I don't have, like, crazy expectations about this game. Obviously, we can win. We've already beaten them. But um, that's going to be a really tough environment, and they're playing well. Um, but I, I hope it's not – I hope it doesn't get ugly. And I, I don't like to say this to be a pessimist. I don't think it will. Um, I just don't want people to be able to say, well, Syracuse won on a fluke against Duke last time, and now they're playing crappy, and then Duke beats them, and obviously Duke's the best team in the ECC. So I, I think as long as – Syracuse puts together a really good performance, even if they drop it. But, it, you know, it looks like the two teams are, you know, it looks like the last team wasn't a total, like, fluke or, or just, you know, a little bit of home cooking or whatever you want to say with the rest, which is still kind of a bizarre argument to me. Um, I'll be fairly happy, as long as the team plays well. Okay, so I, I can take Matt, I think I'll take the uh, – I was waiting for Matt. Oh, what's that? I'm sorry. I didn't know. I was, I, <laughs> Whoever's <laughs> So um, are we, are we talking about the Duke game then? Yes, sir. Okay. Yeah, no, I wasn't paying attention. I just the Villanova game caught my attention there. That could go to triple overtime. Uh, of course, we know that because it's Wednesday. I'm watching the Sunny East game classic. Uh, anyway, uh, Duke game is going to be fantastic. What more can you really say? I called it a bunker game on Sean's site a couple weeks ago, and it's most certainly a bunker game. It's uh you know, hide the women, hide the children, get a couple beers ready, and just get ready to focus in on what should be a really good game. And the thing I like about this, Syracuse is probably going to lose that game. I and again, not you know, I'm not making a prediction necessarily, but it just seems like all things will come together. And, and if SU is going to lose, this is probably that game. If it does lose, so be it. But the good thing that can come out of this game is. It'll it'll kind of remind everyone that Syracuse can actually play in a faster tempo. During the Pittsburgh game, I know Doris Burke caught Doris Burke caught some slack for saying that SU struggles offensively because when you break it down by possession, actually Syracuse does not struggle. And there's that kind of perception that SU doesn't get out and run like it used to, or that it you know it doesn't really put the ball in the basket. And in the first game, Syracuse did it, and I think this will happen again in Duke. And it's, it's a winnable game for Syracuse. I certainly think SU can win. But win or lose, I think this game is more apt to be in the 80s, 90s. And it kind of harkens back to old school, and it makes you feel good. And I think it'll remind everyone that, oh, yeah, well, well yeah, you know, Syracuse got lucky and it had a couple close games. But guess what? This team can still really ball. And that's probably going to be a big perception. Something I'm looking forward to in this game is, is the Temple picking up a little bit and Syracuse reminding teams and the national media that it can actually get out and go a little bit. And to remind them that, oh, yeah, this team, while it isn't great shooting the ball from deep, obviously, it does 
have a, a fairly potent offense still. Yeah, my my outlook on this game, you know, heading in is, you know, we kind of, in the last game against Duke, we kind of sparked something with the Blue Devils. I mean, we, we beat them, but, man, since then, Duke has been pretty much, you know, right on. Uh, they've been playing fantastic. I know they escaped uh, Maryland the other night, but, and speaking about that game, how how the heck did that last shot by Maryland not go in? I, I, I still can't uh, see the replay and not understand how that shot went in, but, uh uh, you know, Duke's been playing really well, and we know, at least from the last matchup, that, you know, when it comes to Syracuse's defense, Duke Duke's offense presents so many challenges in this match it's just because they have four guys on the floor that can shoot the ball. I mean, Syracuse, usually when they play the 2-3 zone, you know, there's a couple of guys, you know, if, if there's a couple of guys that can shoot the three, uh, or even one guy who gets hot, uh, it can cause some issues. Uh, but when there's four guys on the floor that can literally shoot lights out, um, sort of like they did in the first game, it, it presents a lot of issues. I mean, that's why I think, you know, we've discussed all this on Twitter and stuff like that. That's, you know, why we're, you know, afraid of teams like Creighton and why we're afraid of teams like, you know, Iowa. So teams that can just light it up from the three-point line uh, and have at least four four options on the court at the same time prevents a lot of challenges. So, I mean, Going into the game, if you look at it as a matchup perspective, uh, especially being in at, at Duke and you know in the rowdy environment and stuff like that, Syracuse is probably going to be uh, you know can, expected to lose that game. And like Dan said, as long as you know they they stay competitive, stay in the game, don't want to get it out of out of hand, and are at least close. And if Syracuse is close, we've kind of seen what they can do in close games this year. Not saying that they're going to pull it out, but uh, they have a lot more to win in this game than they have to lose. Because if Syracuse wins, um, and let's say they beat Boston College and they go on and continue to, you know, be twenty-seven and zero with a victory at Duke, um, you know, there will be no, there should it shouldn't be any more naysayers. Whether this team is the best team in the nation or not, um, there may be here and there, but uh, you know, like I said, there's a lot more to win in this game than there is to lose. Because kind of going into it. I think the law of averages, people are playing the law of averages, thinking that Syracuse is going to eventually lose a game, and this will be the game they will lose. And But if they win it, then it's impressive, and it's going to be one heck of a celebration. I think bring up a really good point, actually, Jared, is that, yeah, like, you know, Syracuse, Syracuse has a very dangerous chip going into this game of we have nothing to lose. Like, there is nothing, there is nothing meaningful that can happen I mean, yeah, we dropped from number one, but at the same time, like, if, let's say we lost by three. Are you really going to fault the number one team in the nation for losing to the number five team in the nation by three on the road in what is regularly noted as one of the probably top five or so, you know, most hostile environments in college basketball? I mean, if everyone's healthy, I fully expect us to be, you know, very competitive. I just think that, you know, all, all of these, all these critics about about what our office can do and what we how we look as a team are ignoring a lot of things. I mean, I'm not going to you know play the UVA card here and, and cite just points per possession because that's all they did in there. Not to hate on our fellow Asian bloggers too much, but they did a lot of harping about points per possession and only points per possession in conference play um, on Monday when saying that UVA was a better team than Syracuse. 
But looking at our points per 100 possessions where you actually get, you know, a, a better picture of, of pace-free basketball, and yes, Syracuse plays at a very slow pace. I mean, Syracuse is top 10 in terms of scoring efficiency. We're averaging like over 110 points per 100 possessions. I mean, that's huge. And, and to me, I just, we proved it in the new game earlier this year. So we're a team that can, that can score if, if called upon. We did it in, in the Villanova game too. It's just, if you dare us to outscore you, we're going to do it. No, we can't run transition basketball like we have in, in previous years, but that doesn't mean that we're not going to be able to put up points. And, and I'm actually very, very excited to see, you know, what this team does in a hostile environment. Like Cameron, like, we, we've, we responded really well at Pitt, but at full strength with Kate, I mean, Kate is a maybe for BC. If Kate is a definite, Kate is a maybe for BC, I'm assuming he's a definite for Duke. I, I, I like our chances, and I really like the opportunity that we have as a team that really has nothing left to prove this season in, in beating Duke there. It just, yeah, I was going to – go ahead, Dan. Sorry about that. Um, I was, I was just going to say the whole, uh, you know, especially with this last game where we had Doris Burke on the call and she decided that raw points per game was the only stat that mattered, which is ridiculous – like, the whole narrative about Syracuse not being able to score is ridiculous. Even in the pit game, which was really low scoring, they surrender, I think their season average on defense is like .9 points per possession, and Syracuse is at like 1.08 or something, like way above Pitt's season average. So even the games where the, the – just because the game ends in the 50s or the 60s doesn't mean the team isn't running an efficient offense. Uh, and, and really, as you said, the, the um, points per 100 possessions is – such an infinitely better way to measure offense than just raw points per game. Like, it, because if a team that, that scores 80 points a game uh, running all of a now the court plays Syracuse and they're not able to put the ball in the basket in the half court, they're going to turn the ball over 20 times and they're going to run out the court by 15. So just when anyone brings up, like, these these really dated arguments about an offense without actually looking at the context of how the team plays, it absolutely drives me nuts. And it was even – so much worse when Doris was doing it because she's, you know, I know a lot of people don't like her. I don't mind her generally, but to be a national, like, big-time ESPN broadcaster and not have, like, the slightest knowledge about, not even, like, a difficult um, statistical concept. It's not, like, a really hard thing to grasp um, what points for possession or points for 100, like, is. You should be afraid to you know, use a little more um, pertinent data when you're speaking to your audience so, don't be afraid to challenge them a little bit and bring a little more to the table than just saying, oh, they only score 67 points per game or whatever, so obviously they don't have a good offense. And it's so lazy. Yeah, I'll make my points, and I agree with both of you. Well, I guess my, my biggest pet peeve when it comes to criticizing, you know, the media people, they can do all they want. They have, you know, they have a job to do. They come up with topics to talk about uh, and criticize and stuff like that. Where the uh, so they can do what they want. But the one thing that I have been getting tired about is whether or not this team can score or not and what kind of pace do they like to play at. Everyone looks at all their games and says, well, they like to play a slow-paced game. Well, that's because they play all these, they've been playing all these teams. They play slow-paced games. That's all they try to do. And the one thing that Bayheim has done this year, especially with Tyler as his point guard, is he doesn't mind that. 
he's saying that, you know, hey, we have a point guard that can run a half-court set, so let's just do it. Uh, if that's the way you guys want to beat us, we're fine with that as well. But if you want to run with us, I mean, you go look at that NC State game, it was, uh, I, I kind of broke down the numbers a little bit. That pace was half as, or two times as fast as the pick game was, and almost uh, a uh, quarter of as fast as the other two games against Clemson and Notre Dame, the following games. So, I mean, in Syracuse Charlotte, I think a lot of that had to do with tired legs and stuff. But they they want to play that fast. They want to be able to use their athletes in space. I mean, they don't have a lot of bruising guys inside where they can slow the game down and use that sort of – they have athletes. They, you know, guys like – there and Jeremy Grant and Trevor Cooney coming off screens and Tyler Ennis cutting through. So, you know, they want to use those guys to their advantage. So that's one of the narratives about the team I get really annoyed about. Is they can play pretty any pace, and, but the pace that they prefer is a quick pace because they want to put points on the board. Yeah, there's, there's definitely a big difference between the way, let's say, Miami or even NC State like Syracuse and as to what Syracuse generally plays at. There's a massive difference in games in, in strategy, and it's, you know, obviously we all know about Bayheim's offense and its kind of flow to it, how it's a little more free flow maybe than a lot of other teams. Actually, it is a lot more. So when, it, when a team wants to run it, get to 30 seconds, you know, take 30 seconds off the shot clock every possession, that's a team that wants to play the slow pace. That's not Syracuse typically. It can, but it doesn't usually do it that way. A lot of the times Syracuse gets into these rock fights because Cooney's off and teams back off a little bit. But it doesn't mean Syracuse can't play at a higher pace. Yeah, I think that's the big, you know, um, thing that's kind of missing all this quote-unquote analysis is, and it doesn't matter who it's from, it just seems like, oh, God, like Syracuse can't score, Syracuse needs to do this. And, like, you know, it, like at the beginning of the conversation a couple of weeks ago, or even like a month or so ago, like, you know, like I was guilty of it too. And then, you know, like a quick Google search or, or any quick search in terms of, of like slightly advanced statistics shows you that no, it's actually not the pace, it's probably the pace. And like, again, to see like, you know, different criticisms about Syracuse harp on this like nonsensical points per single possession, which again, it's a stat that doesn't matter because it doesn't fix its health or pace. Like, it, it doesn't really make any sense. So, like, I'm not I'm not worried about Syracuse because I've seen that team put up 91 points in the last month. <laughs> like, I'm not worried about Syracuse because I've seen them win a game in the 40s. I'm not worried about Syracuse because I've seen them win a game in the 50s and 60s and 70s. Like, this is a team that has shown itself time and time again this year that it can play chameleon and it can do exactly what the other team wants to do and still pull out a win. And to me, whether it's against Duke or Villanova or down the road, who knows, Arizona, Kansas, like, that, that is, a, is a trait that I just don't – I don't see from any other top team in the country, and that is, like, an ability to adjust to their surroundings, an ability to play the game that their opponent wants to play, lull them into a sense of security that they're dictating the pace and dictating how the game goes. And, you know, again, we still turn that on its ear and win, and win the contest anyway. Yeah, I mean, let's just see Syracuse and Duke getting a track meet and Syracuse win, score about 80, 90 points, and then all this talk will, should stop, hopefully. But, uh, I mean, 
I mean, obviously they're not going to shoot a bunch of three-pointers, which a lot of teams, you know, that score. I mean, you watched Creighton the other night. They, you know, they're making 23-point shots and scoring 100 points. Um, Syracuse is not going to do that. They don't shoot that well from the three-point line. But they can uh, run up and down the court and score points uh, if they need to. And, of course, they're going to play better defense than a team like Creighton. But um, you know, that, let's just, you know, let's just see them play a fast-paced team and win. Uh, on the road, and then hopefully all this talk stops every once in a while. Uh, it won't, and then it will help us all. We're all going to still get upset a little bit when people point it out, but uh, at least we'll have a little bit more backing from this point on. I'd like to take this moment to say that Virginia Tech is up seven on Virginia at the half. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think when everyone else was talking, we were all doing the same thing and Googling the score. I was over watching the same thing, so I was like, oh, man, yeah, that would be so nice if uh, Virginia Tech could pull that off. That would get it's such a cushion that helps the Syracuse. Speaking of the lawn, just tweeted, this is exactly why I wanted everyone to STFU about whether we want Syracuse undefeated when they come to Seville or not. Who cares? Like, yeah, just put in the trial a little bit ahead of the course there because that's that very troublesome Virginia Tech team uh, in town, or they're in their town. I don't really know, but uh, just uh, you never know with the ACC. Apparently, you really don't know in a, in a lot of college basketball, especially when a team plays on the road. I mean, I've been astonished. I mean, I've watched so much basketball this year, and uh, actually, this is funny. I did anecdotes, but uh, I've been. Playing that ESPN Street for the Cash. This is be like the first time I've tried it, and uh, like like the first the first week that I started doing it, I was awful. So I started I was picking all road like teams that were in the top twenty five on the road against you know underdog teams, and it was like a pick 'em. And I kept going with a road team, and all the road teams lost. And it was it just proved to me now I'm just picking all home teams and now winning. So it just proves that you know any team if you're on the road it's going to be a tough night for you and you have to work your butt off to get a win. It's a wonderful. Yeah, that's not bad. I think that's why a lot of pe- a lot of people have kind of been hating on on us um, in terms of you know quote unquote quality road wins. No, we don't have a ton of time left. Probably like less than ninety seconds, according to the condescending British woman who's been counting me out. Um, but yeah, I guess quick going around the room uh, predictions. Uh, we'll start with you, Dan. Just for Duke. Okay. Uh, what will we be see? Um, I'll take Syracuse <laughs> in a four-point game against Duke. Uh, don't know why I'm doing it, but. Matt, and yourself. Uh, I'll go to uh, 77, 78. Close game, upper in terms of score. There's not enough at the end, but you know, nothing bad. Nothing bad. To, you know, nothing to, to really shake your head at. I'm going to take, actually, I'm going to go with the orange. I, I think the... Uh, I think we. I think the Syracuse got a big, huge break with the uh, Duke having to play three games in five days. I think that's going to play a huge role in this game, especially with the legs uh, of Duke and being able to shoot maybe late in games. 
So, uh, yeah, Orange are going to win, let's say, 73-70 or something. Let's just say that. I think they're going to win. Unfortunately, I'm going to be another disloyal idiot on the call. And uh, we're going to go with Duke 84, Syracuse 77. Um, I just think the Cameron crowd is going to to power Duke to a win. It's not going to matter much. We're only going to fall to, like, maybe number two or three. And, um, I mean, at the end of the day, whether Virginia pulls off this win or not tonight, it's still going to be um, up to who wins that game in Charlottesville. Um, so for that, I'm not, like, overly bent. Um, and that pretty much ends our time here tonight. Uh, thanks again for joining tonight, guys. Uh, I guess, you know, go Syracuse against BC, and obviously everyone enjoy the uh, hopeful festivities you're uh, partaking in on Saturday. Uh, for Syracuse Sports Make Me Drink, I'm John. That was Jared, Dan, and Matt. Go Orange. Go Orange. Thanks, everyone. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once-a-year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once-a-year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted.